Welcome to CMMS Radio, a podcast, blog site, and general resource for all things CMMS, computerized maintenance management software, from selection to implementation to help you make better choices, learn from industry experts, and have a successful CMMS journey. We'll bring in experts along the way to help us learn more about CMMS, facilities operations, and much more. If you need help with a CMMS project, send a message at cmmsradio.com using the What's On Your Mind link. Suggest a topic, share your CMMS story, or ask questions. Thank you for tuning in. Today we are joined by Brian Bieschke. He is the owner of Align Machine Company and a dedicated maintenance and reliability leader, creating vision through strong culture and business alignment. Brian has over 15 years in maintenance functions from a heavy equipment mechanic to building and leading multiple state programs at the executive level. His leadership and vision have shaped multiple companies' maintenance departments to embrace human connection and the pursuit of fundamental excellence. He has a proven track record for building consensus and getting buy-in for sustained value creation. Brian's expertise are in maintenance leadership, CMMS implementation, scalability, and human connection to the business alignment. And of course, heavy and industrial equipment service. Welcome, Brian. Thank you for joining today. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here, man. Talk CMMS. Oh yeah, I really appreciate it. And with your with your background, the experiences you've had, the number of times you've been involved in CMMS deployments, I think is a real value for anybody that's taking on that challenge right now for maybe the first time, or maybe they're going to make a change. So first, I wanted to ask you, how did you get your start in maintenance and reliability? And in what way does your military background play a role in what you do? Okay, great. Yeah, awesome question. Uh, I started out as a, um, as a mechanic, I was always tinkering with things. Um, I didn't know what I was doing and I was often, uh, you know, wondering why I didn't do things right and why everything I touched still was broken. Right. Um, <laughs> so I went to college and I dropped out of college. It wasn't my thing. Uh, I went to an automotive school, uh, where I learned how to be an automotive mechanic. I did that for about two years and then, uh, I lost my job in the recession of 2007 and 2008. And I joined the Navy. I come from a long line of military family members. Um, so I, I did a ton of things in the Navy. Notably, I was a GSE flight deck troubleshooter. So I ran the flight deck during flight operations, troubleshooting and maintaining heavy equipment. Um, the Navy is where I got the fundamental understanding of the human side of variability and why processes and tasks and all these things that direct the type of work in a competent and structured way is of value. Um, so once I got out of the Navy, I took a lot of those principles of standardization and following the, the, the practices and procedures that are directed at a failure mode directly. Um, and I started applying them at my jobs as a mechanic, as a heavy equipment mechanic for Caterpillar, as a industrial hydraulics and electronics technician for material handling companies. And then ultimately my first run at managing a large facility as a maintenance manager uh, where I built and standardized and scaled all of the programs there. And then ultimately that turned into uh, being the director of maintenance and reliability and then building and scaling even more programs for multiple state, uh, multiple um, locations at multiple states. 
Um, so the Navy really drove home the, the structure of having to understand what you're doing and how the effects of the human interaction with a machine um, can dictate your availability and ultimately the reliability from, from a standpoint of people, right? Um, but yeah, that, that's where it started. And it's just been building ever since. Um, all the successes and the failures that I've had as a maintenance leader um, have helped me build out the, the thought process that I currently have for the way I implement maintenance, the way I implement CMMS, the way I connect people to things and, and all of that. So that's kind of where, where it took off. That's, that's really important because what I want to ask now that we have kind of set the stage for that is around CMMS. So you've implemented several CMMS platforms and in multiple environments. I know you were just talking about that. I'm interested in hearing your perspective on why different environments use different CMMS platforms. I don't want to call out specific platforms, but I do happen to know from some of our previous discussions that you have a lot of insight when it comes to this idea that CMMS is CMMS. It covers essentially a lot of the same things, but there's this differentiation and variability and I believe what it is from your perspective is the environment and what you're really trying to solve is what dictates which system you should be using. So can you talk a little bit about that, how it's not just get a CMMS, but understand why you're getting a CMMS, which will help you understand which one to really get? Sure. Yeah, I think I, I like to make the, the, um, the connection of like maintaining an asset, you know, um, I will get to CMMS, I promise. Uh, <laughs> but you know, an asset has an operating context, right? And that context is based off of the design of the asset. And if the design of the asset doesn't meet the, the needs or the, 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 the um, operational context, well, then you're going to have a failure, right? There's going to be a missing link. And ultimately, the thing that you've paid for and installed is not going to be doing what you want it to do. So... When it comes to CMMS selection, and as, as we did talk at length um, about different platforms, you know, it really comes down to who is the customer? What are the goals, the business goals? What do you want? Most people don't ask the question to all the relevant stakeholders, what do you want? Um, normally it's, we're super reactive. If we get a CMMS, then we're not going to be reactive anymore. Um, that is the biggest fallacy that you can you can think of. Just having a CMMS doesn't mean you move to a proactive state. Um, but as you're saying, the environment and 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 that's where I am in this. So there's all these different these all these different industries and environments, and the questions that we ask within those industries and environments are what's going to lead us to uh, an understanding of what type of CMMSs we should be considering. And there's a billion of them. Uh, there's, I can't even name, I could probably name you five right now off the top of my head. I don't even, there's so many. Um, but I think the, the customer is a big one, is who is going to be interacting with the CMMS? Um, is it a planner scheduler? Is it a maintenance supervisor? Is it technician driven? Is it mobile? Um, do you have multiple locations? Are the multiple locations the same type of industry or same type of context? Uh, all of these things play a factor. And then on top of that, these key stakeholders, the people who ultimately we'll call them transactional people, the people who are saying, approving the money, they're transactional type people. What do they want from it? How does 
the value stream from what you want as the person bringing it in, bringing it up or it coming to fruition? How do you connect the value to all of these stakeholders and the things that they want to leverage from the system? Knowing all of those things before you even start talking about a platform will be very beneficial in your selection process. So many times I find where someone somewhere goes, we need a CMMS and everyone goes, okay. And then they get one. There's no selection process. There's no due diligence. There's no business alignment. There's no uh, stakeholder assessment. There's no capacity assessment to really know why or what you need. Um, I don't remember who said it or where I may, I may have read it, um, but it was something like, 90% of companies that deploy a CMMS use like 15% of its functionality, mm. but you're paying for a hundred percent of the functionality. Um, so th th that's kind of my stance. It, I, I link it back to the need and where, what you were trying to achieve. And I think that holding stage gate type processes where you don't move on to the next step until you have really sorted out the first step is very valuable because it's very exciting and normal to want to go, Oh, we, we, we got this. Okay. Let's start doing this. Let's start doing this. Let's start doing this. Right. But if you, if you're structured in your approach and you set up your stage gate, it creates a little more discipline to say, okay, yeah, these are the 15 milestones we have to meet before we even start talking about selection. Have we met them? Have we talked to everybody that we need to talk to? Have we drilled down all these things? So that's where I stand on that. I agree in a lot of ways because this this generalization behind, well, we don't have a system, let's get a system, and now we've, we've essentially solved the problem. Well, depends. What did you do ahead of time before you reached that selection? And now that you've made the selection, and what I'm, what I'm getting to is you already mentioned it, that if 90% if of the time, as just a, a generalized number, organizations that identify and select solution maybe they identified it in the wrong way they are only leveraging 15 percent of its functionality which can mean a couple of things one they picked the wrong system that has way too much and they weren't focused enough on understanding their own needs prior to making that selection or once that selection is made and this is what i've found in my years dealing with these types of implementations is i find once the selection is made, they've issued their PO, whatever it is, they've got a solution that they purchased. Now, they just don't do much. And sometimes it's their own issue internally in that they didn't understand those process steps that they were going to utilize for getting to that implementation, let alone leveraging the platform once, once they start the implementation. But the other thing is some of the organizations that provide these solutions don't have the things in place that are going to help guide and really encourage, I'd rather say push along that deployment so that people can really get immersed in their new processes. And then you mentioned one other thing that it's not this magic solution to your problems. And I'm bringing it all the way back to this human element that, that you're very, very aware of and make it endemic to your process processes when, when you're implementing these things. Right. So, what advice would you have for anyone either selecting their first CMMS platform for a given environment or what advice would you have if they're moving away from their existing CMMS platform? So I would say 
four, the advice four um, would be if you're going and you're starting from nothing and you're going to get a platform, you don't need everything. Um, you need to make sure that the functionality is in alignment with what you're after. Uh, I've seen very complicated CMMS programs get implemented at people who just need a work order system. And, uh, or there's a million ways you could go about that. But I, I would say that the, the functionality we talked about prior to this is have these questions, have these thoughts, have these stakeholders, have the need figured out. That has to be figured out. Uh, anybody can just go, I could right now go and buy and subscribe to a CMMS program. No one is going to teach me how to be a maintenance manager or a supervisor or a planner when I have a CMMS. When you buy a CMMS, you don't just automatically go, oh, I know how to do work processes. I know how to charge time. I know how to capture. I know how to create metrics. That doesn't happen. You just get a, a computer platform that you do things in. So the advice for, for starting it is all the things we talked about prior to this, you need to have the stakeholders, you need to get everybody in the room, you need to have all the asking questions put together, stage gate them to where you don't move on until you know, within a reasonable doubt, within the context of what you actually know, right, to move on to a selection process. Now, if you're going to move away, and I've done this as well, I've started out a, a company with a certain CMMS program, and then I ditched it, and I moved away from it. And the reason that was is because our business model was changing. Our manpower constraints were changing. I have to adapt my strategy with the needs of the business. I can't just go, well, I'm just going to keep the CMMS the same way, even though we don't even use planner schedulers anymore. So now whoever is in charge is just going to get the CMMS is going to get dumped on them. Hmm. And there are companies who don't employ planner schedulers, but they utilize the CMMS. So, the business needs to be driving and dictating how you're going to adapt your maintenance workflows, your processes, and your CMMS selection. For instance, I had one that was very robust and it was, I was utilizing planning and scheduling, specific people, all of those things. We got away from that and we went more towards, as you and I talked about before, technician-driven interfacing where the platform needed to be 100% mobile. We're on, we're on facilities that are 3,600 acres, uh, mining, waterfront. The, the interfacer with the platform is now not in an office. He's out in the field. Nice. So I had to adapt. I had to change the way I was going to, to manage that process. Now, don't get discouraged and don't think just because you've done something, now it's starting from scratch. You're not. If you've taken the steps from the very beginning, like we talked about, asked all the right questions, input all the correct data to get your basic fundamental functionality in your CMMS correct, all you have to do is mass export that stuff out of it, change the configuration, and then mass export, mass import it back into a new system. You can do that with asset, asset lists, inventory, PMs, all those things can be done. So don't think you're starting from zero. You're starting from 50%, right? Um, which is not bad, especially since you're going to be adapting with the business and then being able to move more efficiently and more in line with where the business is going. Absolutely. And that also creates a really nice opportunity for data scrubbing. You can essentially look and understand where there were gaps in your existing process. You probably already know those if you've done the right due diligence as to why you're moving away, what you're moving to. But I've found 
a lot of these things that you're talking about to be along the lines of the right way to do it. And the thing you were talking about with, with the larger facilities environments where you've got people in the field on the floor, they're not sitting at a desk. And I think that group, that group, I'm, I'm going to take everyone that's not sitting at a desk, everyone that's actually uh, say, for example, using the platform, they're not at that C-suite level. They're not on the board. They're concerned with different things than what those KPIs represent. So the why kind of, kind of changes is that the largest group in your experience, your observation that tends to not be included in figuring out the why are we doing this? What are our real goals? Is that the largest group you would say is less, maybe it's not intentional, but they're just not included in that initial decision-making process? 100%. It's without a doubt the biggest group. Um, I have uh, witnessed where CMMS selection was like four people <laughs> in a business. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, my questions were always, well, what does the maintenance supervisor do? Uh, do the technicians use any form of work management right now? Have you talked to the night shift guys? What, what, what are their thoughts? Um, I, I think I was telling you last time we talked, a large portion of my implementations is literally just holding the hands of the people who do the work every single day and just seeing where their bottlenecks are. How do, how do I believe that they will adjust to the new culture of having a CMMS? Um, the culture amongst your, your, your doers, I call them the people who do the work has to be right. It has to be in line. It has to be flexible. And that takes strong leadership. It takes strong leadership to connect those people to why a CMMS is beneficial for them. And then ultimately the business. And you are 100% correct. I believe this, that that is a marginalized group in maintenance where they go, they just got to do it. We'll, we'll, we'll make it, we'll push it to them and then they got to do it. And then we'll, we'll figure it out on the fly. It's like, whoa, you should probably at your very minimum select a group of them, a random, you know, group of skill sets and level and shifts, bring them in and start picking their brains. You don't, they're, they're the real we talk about customer. They're the real customer if you're doing that type of process, right? Um, but yeah, they are not leveraged as often as they should be. And that's what I mean when I say stakeholders, depending on the business, right? The needs of your business and the, the outlook of what you're trying to achieve, stake, relevant stakeholders include technicians. They include the, the supervisor. They include the planner. They include systems administrators, the parts guy, procurement, logistics, all of those things, if you're going to leverage the functionality of a CMMS to its full potential, you need all those people. You need finance too. I've connected CMMS programs to tons of financial systems and they got to be involved. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and if we know that they have to be involved, so at all of these various levels within the organization, because ideally we, we want an all-encompassing kind of viewpoint on what we do as we drive these organizations forward, whether you're focused on your own organization, you're helping another organization on and on like that, where we want to understand, well, 
something as simple as, well, how do you do your job right now? What's going on on a week-to-week, month-to-month basis as it relates to the work that you do? Where do you experience or even hear about amongst your peers within the organization the issues and the bottlenecks? And we got to get that on some kind of a list. I have two other questions kind of around this that kind of carry us forward in in at least this particular episode because I think we're going to we're going to definitely be doing more because there's a, there's a lot to unpack and we want to be careful not to, you know, dump too much per episode <laughs> because we've got tons of insight to share, right? You you you've got these incredible experiences, observations, but the question is the first question is are you or, or I don't know if I want to ask if you're a fan of, or what is your opinion? This is a better question. What is your opinion on this RFP process where organizations tend to come in and take what I've always viewed as kind of a rote process and try to adapt it to what they're doing with these spreadsheets where, oh, we're going to score it from a one to four. We're going to score it from a one to four across the board. Are you a fan of those approaches when companies are, are, are looking for and going to select a CMMS platform? So I look at this from two ways. Uh, The one is, is the local team or business competent enough to write an appropriate scope or RFP for CMMS selection? Uh, that's, That's one. If they are, then it's likely that they've been connected to the business and know enough to say, hey, this is where we want to be. These are, these are, these are a priority thing for me. This is not a priority thing for me. Um, I think that if they are competent in that, in that process or in that understanding of the business, and they do bring the people in that we talk about, I think they're going to be more likely to score those particular things and functionalities more accurately. The second part of that is I've seen this is where someone says, and they're right to do so. I have no clue. Let me hire a consultant to say, hey, we want a CMMS, but we don't even know where to start. So can you help us? And then, it, in my opinion, it falls on the competency of the consultant to, to probe and investigate the business and draw correlations and understand and communicate to pull these things out of it with their experience and the business and the, the, um, the industry and all of those things to then give a customer a selection of CMMSs that fit the bill with the pros and cons, the the outlook of the future saying, if the company, I know we don't want to talk names, but if the company has X financial system and B CMMS doesn't have a direct integration, well, we need to take that into consideration. Are we going to do in-house configurations and programming and software or whatever, or are we going to have, we want hundred percent out of the box, make the link, whatever. So, it's two types of competencies, in my opinion. It's does the business have the competency and the understanding of their own core business and understanding to make a correct RFP or scope to rank the wants and okays and nice to haves, or are they selecting a consultant or somebody who is competent enough to extract the appropriate information from those people and correlate it to their business and then give them a, a selection of CMMSs that then they can dissect to understand where they where they would like to be, both both now and in the future, because it's growth, right? You can't, selecting a CMMS for now is good, but you should always 
try to have the option for where you want to be, right? And that's why vision is so important from a maintenance leadership standpoint. Where do we want to be as a business? Yes. And I would add, I would add to that, that one of, one of my observations is that organizations are moving so fast and (laughs) tend to be top down in decision-making and process implementation and whatnot. So they're leaving out some of those critical players and they don't necessarily intend to, they're moving so fast. What I'm getting at is that this, what you're talking about takes some time that oftentimes an organization can't make available because they're looking at it maybe as a cost, a, a, a cost rather than as a transaction, right? A, a transaction. Yes, indeed. And so for, for me, not have I've, I've got certain types of expertise and it's, you know, kind of debatable. I think my job has always been to learn as much as I can and, and, and help bring the learnings and the insights from others, you know, kind of to the fore so that people can learn from it. There's this thing I've seen over the years where once we get going as organizations, we start to view the opportunity to stop and fix something or improve something as such a disruption when in fact those orgs that actually do that they stop assess and properly understand what they're about to do they're going to lose a little bit of momentum so they think what happens though is through that process improvement and those implementations when those are realized which might not be two weeks they might take two years that's right they're going to go to a level that is unheard of but they've got to suffer through that. And I think suffering through that is the wrong way to describe it. They have to be willing to go through that in order to achieve this goal, which will then set them up for yet another one that ultimately gets us as organizations, anybody, everyone, I don't care what you do, why you do, you can achieve a state of constant, continual process improvement but you've got to put the things in place Yes, and that's going to take some time and they have to be willing to, I'm going to go back to suffer that perceived yeah. pain. Now there, there's another thing where, where I wanted to lead to another question. Cause I said, there were kind of two questions you are very big on. And, and I think, I think it's great. The human connections that come into play with, you know, business alignment, And we were just kind of talking about how it's really difficult for organizations to manage this or really kind of enable this way of operating. So when it comes to this, this human element, it's really, it boils down to the people that are actually doing the work. And that doesn't mean the people that are interpreting the work aren't critically important, but it's across the board. So is that where that human connection comes into play for you? So I'm going to go just real quick back to your point you made and, and what it was about suffering through, right? If you ask any maintenance professional or you look in and read any uh, well-recognized maintenance reliability best practices book or anything like that, the companies in this world that are of the 90 plus percentile of high reliability, high availability, they do the basics of maintenance very, very well. Planning, scheduling, 
parts procurement, um, understanding design and commissioning, precision maintenance. I'm not talking about condition monitoring and all this crazy stuff. They do the most fundamental things in maintenance and reliability well. And the reason that they do them so well is because those are the building blocks for everything that every company wants, which is the shiny thing, the connection, the the vibration data, the IoT, all these things. That's what everybody wants, but everyone doesn't want to do the work. It's like a six pack. Everybody wants a six pack, but no one wants to do the work for the six pack. You know? Um, so I just wanted to go back to that. And, and I think that, that is a very valuable thing for people to understand is that fundamental excellence is what will stand the test of scale. When you're scaling so fast, if you do fundamental maintenance excellence right, it will scale proportionally with your scale. If you don't do that well, then your ability to support the scale is not proportional because you're trying to focus on the shiny thing that's not even ready to go for your scale. You need to be fundamentally, you need to have fundamental maintenance excellence. I'll does, stop that, does, that, does that mean then that by doing that, that creates a downline, you've actually created a downline break in the chain you're almost guaranteed to you're going to hit another wall because you've started to proceed without, for example, mm -hmm. you're going to keep going. You're going to, you're going to keep going back. You're going to keep go back and redoing and trying to catch back up to where you should have been by implementing fundamental excellence. Yes. Yes. I love it, that it because it happens all the time. Well, the basics, the basics play. Right. What what happens in any aspect of life when we get jammed up, we get stuck, we encounter a problem, we lose visibility. We now can't really uh, we don't have a foundation under us anymore to make proper assessments, good decision making, because we're now creating these blind spots. What do we always hear forever? And, and, and I hope that never goes away because I'm seeing a pretty this might not be appropriate for the podcast, but I see a severe uh a severe disconnect in the importance of tribal knowledge being carried forward. It's happening before our eyes. And what I'm, what I'm really getting at is when it all comes down to it, we use, you know, like an acronym, like keep it simple, silly, right? Uh, sailor, keep it simple, sailor. Yeah, there you go. You're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to go back to basics and say, all right, let's get those basic fundamentals in place. So just that in and of itself is a way of setting up your yes. ongoing improvement. Yes. So next question is, what do you see as a current trend in maintenance and reliability right now that's really worth embracing if somebody out there is not embracing that? I think that the the investment in your frontline workforce and your doers i will say mechanics electricians welder millwrights mechanics these are all my favorite people in the world and um i i am glad to have been one and i spend the majority of my time with those type of people an investment in your frontline leadership and the core of the people who perform the function for you is invaluable and what i mean by that is if you can take any amount of time to connect with the people who do the work, understand them, link them to the bigger business, uh, show them the value that they create every single day, 
Show them the value that they create for not only themselves, but for the bigger business. Connect them to the bigger business. Let them see why the things that you want to implement, do, and change is so valuable for them because they are people. And inherently, we always want to know what is good for us, right? But, but us as leaders and implementation specialists, it's our job to help connect those people to why the things we want to do are so valuable. And I, I, I genuinely believe we can talk fancy technology and all those things. I will believe, and I will say this, and I don't care if anybody gets mad at me, that stuff doesn't mean anything if the people who are doing the work do not understand why those things are happening and where and where and why they are connected to that thing. Cult, culture and the fundamental pursuit of excellence are going to build everything. If you want to implement a CMMS and it's going to be sustained and have sustained value, got to have the right culture. You want to put sensors on all of your pumps and measure vibration analysis or, or CTs or anything like that. The people interpreting the data or going around and doing their checks, their PDM checks, they have to understand why that's happening. That's culture. That's fundamental understanding. That's fundamental excellence. So that's a huge trend to me that I think that people need to get more on the bandwagon with. There are people in our maintenance industry who are really working to help bridge that gap. And I suggest that you people follow those people. If it's okay, I'd like to name drop. Rob Kavarowski, um, uh, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a ton of them, right? Uh, I, don't, I don't want to say, say too, too many people's name, but he, he, you know, there's, there's those type of people who are trying to bridge the, the, the human connection gap to help people under, understand where we, where we, Bob Latino, all the, all, George Williams, you know, all those people who are trying to, to, to show and do that culture is that excellence from the beginning um, and the human error side of things, right? Uh, yeah, so that, that's what I would say uh, is invaluable, invaluable thing. And you alluded to it a little bit about the tribal knowledge and the skills gap and the the people leaving the industry that have the knowledge that for unfortunately some companies are not willing to invest to get that knowledge actual actually back um, once it's gone. So that that's a huge worry of mine um, in a lot of different industries. Uh, I think that something I read something recently it said like by 2030 the the the, the maintenance and skilled trades is going to have like a 10 or 12 percent uh, loss of its workforce or something like that. It was something like that. Uh, which is crazy, right? Because everything we love near and dear and appreciate and take for granted, somebody somewhere is making sure it stays working. Yes. Yes. And that, that, <laughs> that, that well, and, and, you know, as much as this may sound like it doesn't relate to industry commerce and all these kinds of things, I have similar concerns and it, it, I, I kind of encapsulated in this concept called the death of culture and tribal knowledge is incredibly relevant to preventing the death of culture and the death of culture, just to keep it super simple happens when, when the language language of said culture is gone, that culture has in fact died. And that's a good analogy. The 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 essential component here that we're that we're kind of circling around talking about and really trying to push out there. And, you know, if people think it's soapbox, that's fine because it is. I certainly don't care. It's really important (laughs) that. Well, well, and and actually, that's because you care so much about (laughs) what's going to happen in the future. So if you're going to lose 10 to 12 percent maybe even more of that workforce that 
holds and carries that tribal knowledge, what's inside of that tribal knowledge? It's the why. It's the how. Mm -hmm. It's the comprehensive understanding through these bits of information that help the next people coming in to understand the why, and then they can go, wow, okay, I understand that and that and that, and nowadays we've got this too, so I'm going to put that together. Now you're good. Whereas if, they have, if they're blind to that, if they don't have that awareness and they don't understand that, that criticality of knowledge that informs why we're doing, why we did what we did, why we changed it, those things, that's important. That's important because the next generation coming up, they have different aspects of life and the way the world moves that they understand that we don't necessarily understand, but you have right. to blend those. And I think that's really important. The, the other question I had on here was around what's the biggest mistake companies make with CMMS platforms and how can that be avoided? I think we already answered that in that they don't do a proper due diligence process internally. They go, you know, out, seek the vendor, find the bells and the whistles and Ooh, shiny Cadillac. Ooh, moon roof. Let's get it. And turns out they're never going to open the moon roof. Right. I was, <laughs> I was having a conversation with, with my, my mentee today and, uh, you know, I told him, you know, just being silly and facetious, you know, the litmus test for knowing if someone knows anything about maintenance and reliability is, um, is, is ask them if you can predict failures or ask them if maintenance increases reliability. And I think, I think that the competency is key and even more important is that competency is directed. If you have strong competency in something, it needs to be directed towards that something. Uh, and CMMS implementation selection process all, is, isn't any different, whether it's you yourself with your bigger business deciding, or if it's you seeking out to a consultant or somebody to help you decide. I mean, people have to know what they're talking about. We can't, I, I hate to say it, but you gotta, you, you have to have that understanding. If you don't, or they don't, you're, you're rolling the dice. Yeah. You're, 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 you're doing guesswork that is extremely high risk and expensive. Oh yeah, that's for sure. We've, <laughs> we've heard, I know you and I talked about it when we, were, when we were talking before about some of these, the incredible spend. It's wild. And, oh man, it's a head scratcher. It's like, how on earth did that happen? I mean, these yeah. are smart people and yes. they did that. It's like, whoa. It's like, pay me, pay me half, pay me half of that. And I'll, I'll help you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. Now, speaking of that, this is really important. You've, You've done CMMS implementations for yourself. You've done it for others. And aside from CMMS, you do some incredible things when it comes to you know, companies out there that want to create something brand new in the way of a product. This is not software related. This is actually you know, where, where they're going to create an innovative piece of equipment or something like that to solve a problem. So if people want to get in touch with you, and just connect for a conversation or find out more about your services and how you can help. And, and you already mentioned that you were speaking to a mentee. And I mean, that's incredible because mentorship is huge. It's everything. How do people get in touch with you? What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? So there's, there's a couple. Um, you can uh, email me at service at alignmachinecompany.com. Uh, or you can message me on LinkedIn, Brian Bieschke. Um, I have a website, alignmachinecompany.com, and you can you can look me up. I uh, I am very interested in learning and understanding things, and 
and being a part of facilitating success of other people. Because in, in facilitating their success, I, I am likely to learn something. Uh, and I've said this even in the past in a couple other podcasts, whether you have a year or a hundred years in maintenance, you know something I don't know. Uh, and I want to know it. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. I, I am, I'm a, I'm a tinkerer. I'm a wrench turner. I'm very interested in, in crawling around on your machinery and helping you solve problems. Um, I would say that we're, we are very interested in, in bridging fundamental and complicated gaps in either your physical maintenance, your understanding of that maintenance, your conceptualization of the, of the information you're getting, new ideas, old ideas, um, all of those things. And, and I would, I would love to help. So. Excellent. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Brian, I really appreciate the time today and sharing all of these wonderful insights. We're definitely going to be doing this again on some other topics related to CMMS, but I'll try to bring in some of those other things uh, that you do, because I think maintenance and reliability is really at the heart of why a CMMS platform exists, why it can be used, because once you have that, now you're protecting the things that you have in place and that benefits the people and all that happy stuff. So thank you again for today. I'm really looking forward to the next one. And for everyone listening, check out our website. We'll have some information up there for you, but we're also going to put in some info about how you can get in touch with Brian if you need help. Thank you, Greg. Awesome. You got it. Did you find this episode helpful? Please send us some feedback, suggest a topic or ask a question and follow us on your favorite podcasting platform. Reach out to CMMS Radio if you need a co-pilot on your CMMS project and keep listening to CMMS Radio. Do you have a CMMS story? We'd love to hear it. Visit cmmsradio.com and use the What's On Your Mind link. Thank you for tuning in to CMMS Radio, your resource for all things CMMS from selection to implementation to help you make better choices, learn from industry experts, and have a successful CMMS journey.